Come on, Word of Life. How are we doing this morning? Everyone feeling okay? Oh no, come on. The rumor around town is this is a Pentecostal church. We're spirit-filled believers. We came to church to encounter God today. Come on, am I in the right place? Well, it's got to be something significant when you're able to be in church on Groundhog Day and Super Bowl Sunday. I think it talks about that in the book of Daniel somewhere, but we can check that out at home. But, you know, there's a lot of things that you can make fun of us British for. I mean, we don't even know if we're European or not. But at least we're not looking to prophetic rodents to tell us what the weather's going to be. That's on y'all. Well, I'm truly delighted to be here, and uh, you know, as Pastor Randy already said, I'm able to chat with my wife, Megan. She is spectacular and wonderful and easily the best person I know, and uh, I'm so grateful that I got the invitation to come up, share something with you guys today. I'm uh, truly delighted to be here. Um, as Pastor Randy mentioned, I am from the UK. The accent is not faked, um, but every now and again, some will say, have you ever thought about moving back home? And I've thought about it, and it's never really been on my mind, but as of recently, there's a... Uh, there's a job opening with the royal family. <laughs> I feel I'm a pretty solid candidate. I'm married to an American called Megan. <laughs> this could work out real well. I hear the job comes with a house too. This could work. But going to Hillsong, Australia uh, to go to the Bible college that's there is, is easily one of the best choices I've made in my life. And it came through uh, a long season of prayer and a long season of believing that the Lord was calling me into the ministry and was calling me to go to a Bible college so I could be better equipped to step into a season of ministry, to, to go into church work, to, to do whatever I could to play my part in building the kingdom. And when I got down there, I started in a program. The program was basically 50% in the classroom and 50% working out what you learned in the classroom through active ministry. And so that was the program that I did, but after a number of months, my attention started to drift towards another program that was available, and it was a, a degree program, it was a degree in theology, and it was 100% in the classroom. And anything you did, anything you did around the church, any ministry that you were a part of, it was all on your time. You didn't get any credit for it towards your schooling. It was just a decision that you made, and you did it or you did not. It's up to you. But the program itself was all in the classroom. It was all in the library. And I knew it was a good decision to make. And to this day, I believe it was the right decision for me to switch to that program. But on the Sunday morning, the course was going to start on a Monday. And on the Sunday morning, I'm in church, and I'm praying, and I'm praying about school, I'm making this big change, I'm switching programs, going from one to another, and I'm praying through it, and I just felt the Lord impress on me to get up early and read Romans the next day. Now, if the Lord tells you to do something that's going to drastically change your life, you take your time with it, you get wisdom, and you get advice and all that, but if you're told to get up early and read Romans, I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen if you heard wrong? You read Romans, I mean, you know, there's no crisis in this, so I got up early, read Romans, Romans 1, Okay. Romans 2, okay? Romans 3, okay? Romans 4, okay? Romans 5. Suddenly I got a roundhouse kick to the face. I'm reading Romans 5 and I get to verse 8 and Annie's already shared this today in her call to worship. Powerful verse. Can I get an amen, sister? Come on, somebody. She's already shared this in the call of worship today, but when I read this verse, it smacked me. And the verse is this, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates... His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. And the reason this meant so much to me, and I knew the reason that God had made that scripture come alive and that scripture be electric for me that moment was that I was about to enter into a program. I was about to enter into a degree program that was a a lot of head stuff. It was a lot of thinking about different philosophy, a lot of history, learning a lot of church languages, going into a lot of the intricate details, debating about who's right, this theologian or that theologian, and what historical path has the church taken to come to these conclusions, what doctrine, all this stuff in their head. And this was the Lord way of telling me, Tom, you need to keep focused on who I am and what I've done in your life. You need to focus on the cross. You need to focus on the empty tomb because while you were still a sinner, before you ever even tried to clean up your life, before you ever even tried to come close to me, before you ever even tried to follow me, while you are actively pushing me away, while you are deliberately and intentionally pushing me away and rejecting me and wanting nothing to do with me, that's the moment that I paid a price for you that you could never ever pay for yourself. See, I'm glad I did this program. To this day, I'm glad, and it's helped me tremendously in ministry that I did this degree in theology. But what was going to keep me all in, which I understand is a series that you guys have just come to the end of, what was going to keep me all in was not learning more and more. It was not adding to my insight. It was not adding to my knowledge. What was going to keep me all in was focusing on that cross. That was what was going to keep me all in. Seasons in life happen and they have a way of getting us to question, does God love me? But this scripture says that we know God loves us. God loves us. He demonstrated his love for us by Jesus being on that cross. Not when we most deserved it, but when we least deserved it. And this focus and this passion to have for the gospel. This is something that I never, ever want to get watered down. This is something that I never, ever want to lessen in my life. And I hope if you're here as a believer today, that's the cry of your heart too that you want to be more passionate for God than you've ever been before. Hopefully this all-in series has inspired you to live a life more focused on the good news of Jesus, more focused on who he is, more focused on what he's got for your life, that there is a plan and a purpose for you, and he doesn't want you to miss out on it, and you shouldn't either. A number of years ago, a number of years ago, I was able to uh, speak at a, a youth gathering. Multiple youth groups got together when we were youth pastoring in Montana. As we were gathered together for this youth conference, I I was planning the message that I was able to share, and I wrote down point two, sub point C. I wrote something down. Point two, sub point C, I wrote something down, and I had no idea how important the phrase that I was about to write down would come to mean to me. I wrote this down as as something that I wanted to share with some teenagers. It was a sub point of point number two, and I wrote down, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. I know that's a mouthful. But let me break this down and why it's come to mean so much to me. And I would even go as far as to say this phrase has come to shape my entire philosophy and idea of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live a life pursuing God, what it means to be all in, what it means to want to see God's plans unfold in my life. That if I believe... If I'm not the person next to me, not the person that invited me to church, not the person that's praying for me. If I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if I believe that when Jesus says that he loves me, when Jesus says that he died for me, when Jesus says that he has a plan and a future for me, I believe that. If I believe these things, then the only only response that makes sense 
is to follow him with everything. If I were to believe all those things, if I were to believe that Jesus is who he says, and my response to that was to follow him half-heartedly, if my response was to follow him kind of, sort of, half in, half out, Sundays only, that makes no sense at all. If he is for real, if he did raise from the dead three days after he was on that cross for me and for you, the only logical response is for us to follow him with absolutely everything. And my belief is, and my experience from my life, I've been a Christian now for 16 years. My belief is that if I keep locked on that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while I was still a sinner, while you were still messed up, while you were still trying to figure it out, while I was an absolute disgrace, he died for me. And if I believe that, my only logical response is to follow him with everything. Keeping focused on that has served me well. And friend, I'm here to tell you I believe that God is calling us Christians all over this nation to go in a deeper commitment and a deeper desire to follow him with everything, not kind of, sort of, not wishy-washy, not half in, not half out, not Sundays only, but I believe that there is a call on the church to rise up and take their place as sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to live like there is a plan and a purpose that is on your life and on mine. And I don't know about you, but I remember what it was like to be far from Jesus. I remember what it was like to live far from him. I remember what it felt like to try and go through life distant from God with a relationship with God that was broken. I remember it, and I remember it well, and I believe that I'm not the only one in this room today that remembers that. It felt like you were lost. It felt like you were lost. It, you know, if you've ever been driving around, maybe you're in a town that you've never been in before, and the GPS is letting you down, because that happens. You're driving around town that you're not quite sure where you're going and the person you ask for direction says take the third left and you've been past one left, two left and there's no third left and you've been driving for 20 minutes. That kind of that feeling of being lost. Maybe you've been in a building that you've never been in before and it's not quite sure how you need to get to the office, you need to get to or the place you need to get to in this building. And that feeling of being lost, it just brings up that anxiety, that feeling of being uncomfortable. If you're in the car and you're feeling lost, for some reason I find it helps if I turn the music down. But that feeling of being lost is such a horrible feeling, and yet I can look at my experiences of living life distant from God, distant from Jesus, and I felt that feeling of being lost was just how I went through life. Just feeling lost, feeling aimless, feeling direction, just constantly panicking, feeling like I don't quite fit in, not kind of feel like I can quite be myself because I've got to try and squeeze into some kind of expectation that I've put on myself and others are putting on me. Just that feeling of being lost just brings up all kinds of negative emotions, negative ways to go through life, and it's horrible. And as we go through life feeling lost like that, the enemy comes in and the world comes in and says what in my personal opinion is probably the most destructive lie that the world can give and the enemy can give. In that feeling of being lost, the enemy steps in and says, I can help. And that panic of feeling lost, that devastation of feeling lost, that panic, that, that, that incredible discomfort of feeling lost, at that moment the world steps in and says, I can help. And the world makes promises left and right that it cannot and has no intention of keeping. And if you're alive today, you are a part of this generation. It's not just the young'uns. If you're alive today, you're a part of this generation and our generation. We have more access to the promises of the world than any generation that has ever gone before us in the whole of human history. Our generation, we have more access to the things that the world will tell us. This will help you stop feeling lost than any generation that has ever gone before you. 
We have more access to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We have more access. If we feel lonely and we feel disconnected, we have more access to, to get friends, except they're online and we call them followers. We feel this need to go out and get respect, and so there's this temptation that, man, I can be a YouTube star instantaneously if only I'm good enough and funny enough and willing enough to do ridiculous stuff in Target enough. But the lie of the enemy is that if you do enough of this stuff, you can stop feeling lost, and it is a lie. It is a lie. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The natural consequence of believing the lies of the world and the lies of the enemy leads to destruction and pain and misery. And I know that some of you in here, just like me, you have found that out firsthand in very, very painful ways. There's a good chance you've seen it in your own life. And if you haven't seen it in your own life, you've seen it in the lives of those around you. The world's making promises. I can help you stop feeling lost. This will help you stop feeling lost. And we believe those lies. It does not go the places we thought it would go. It does not lead where the world told us it would go. Despite having access to all these promises and having more access to this stuff than any generation that's ever gone before you, somehow our generation has got more kids in juvenile detention facilities than any generation that's ever gone before us. We've got more hopelessness in our high schools than any generation that has ever gone before us. We've got more suicide attempts than any generation that has ever gone before us. We've got more people that are so desperate and so wrecked with mental health problems that they're trying to get answers and help any which way they can more than any generation that has ever gone before us. And as a church, we need to rise up and say the world is done lying. We are done believing the lies of the world. It is time. Incredibly, in the moments where we feel lost, this is when Jesus steps up, says, I am the way. In those moments where we believe the lies of the world, it's at that moment that Jesus stands up and says, I am the truth. And the moment we're experiencing the death that comes from believing the lies of the world, Jesus steps up and says, I am the life. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And I don't know about you, church, but this is some good news today. This is something that is worth being passionate about. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only logical response is to follow him with absolutely everything. And if that's where your focus is, if that's where your eyes go to, if that's what you're locked in on, if this is where your attention is, if this is where your priority is, things start to change. Life starts to change. Life starts to look differently. The way you make decisions, the way you respond to things, your values, they all get flipped upside down and inside out. And the entire life starts to change. And it starts from the inside out. And I don't stand up here, and I, I certainly don't pretend to be some genius, but I was able to read something a number of years ago, and it stuck with me. I wanted to share it with you today. So the Greek word for repent gives a great deal of insight. See, the, when we often say repent, it's a church word. Outside of a church context or outside of a, a, a Bible reading, it's unlikely that you would come across the word repent just through everyday life. It, it has become a church word. And it's come to mean that, you know, you want forgiveness or it's come to mean that you're going to make a 180-degree turn in your life. And that's all true, but, but there's a, a deeper meaning to this. There's a broader meaning to this. So the Greek word for repent is, is metanoia. And the word metanoia, according to the Strong's Concordance definition, the Strong's Concordance is a trusted Bible dictionary. 
says to change one's mind or purpose. To change one's mind or purpose. So when you read in the Gospels that when Jesus began his ministry, he started saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Which is what Jesus was saying right before he started launching into his ministry. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. What he's saying is, there is a kingdom coming. I'm going to be the king of that kingdom. I want you to be a part of it. But for you to be a part of it, you have to think differently than what you're thinking right now. Your values have to change from what they are right now. If you want to take your place in the kingdom, your value system has to completely flip upside down. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And those of us are Christians, we know oh so well what that's like when we first get saved. You remember what it's like when your entire system, your entire system of belief suddenly flips upside down onside its head and you just, okay, okay, I got to rethink everything in the light of how incredible God is. And Romans 12, 2, a very familiar verse to many of us is, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It is a heart and a mind transformation that God leads us on as believers. Another verse I'd like to share with you, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. So all of us who have had that veil removed, all of us who are believers, all of us who have been saved because we believed in the good news of Jesus, All of us can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. We can reflect the glory of the Lord that we have experienced, that has transformed our life, that has saved us and set us free. We can reflect that glory to the world around us. There is a notable difference when we've encountered the glory of God because it has transformed our life from the inside out. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him. This is an ongoing thing. There is not a single person here who could say with a straight face that they got this all figured out. This is an ongoing thing that the Lord is committed to helping us walk through as we are changed into his glorious image. And this transformation leaves a notable difference in your life. The people around you will be able to point out that God is working in your life. They may not understand it like that. They may not describe it as that. But as you go through life, people will be able to see, man, God is working in this person. This person's life is changing. This person is different than they were six months ago. This person is not responding the way they used to. They're not acting the way they used to. Why? Because God is busy on the inside. God is busy churning out the junk, and he's busy kicking out the junk that we've picked up over the years. And he's committed to getting us, cleaning us up, and transforming us more and more into his glorious image. And I'm going to rattle off a list of a couple of things. And I'm, I'm going to rattle these off, and maybe one or two of them jump out at you. Let me just rattle these off. These are a couple of things that I've seen in the lives of, of others, as well as myself, that the Lord has got involved and started mixing up how you think about these. So bear with me. Treating your spouse like a gift from God. Refusing to talk junk about the people at work. Forgiving someone who refuses to apologize looking for ways to encourage others, working hard at work or college to the glory of God, speaking words of life and love to our kids, finding time to pray for people who have hurt you, restoring a relationship by apologizing first, taking responsibility when it's easier to give excuses, being careful about who you let influence you the most, loving someone who drives you nuts, treating dishonorable people with honor, telling the truth despite the consequences. These aren't behavior modifications. This is a heart and mind transformation. And I'd love to tell you that I would get an A plus on all these things, but Megan's on the front row and I don't want her causing a scene. But I do believe that if we're constantly remembering the the price that was paid on the cross, if we're constantly focused on the cross, 
I do believe that if we constantly focus on the power of the empty tomb, that Jesus did all he did for me, that he paid the price to set me free, not on my best day, but on my very worst day. When I was at my absolute grossest, he paid the price for me. So I don't have to live lost anymore. I don't have to believe the lies of the world anymore. I don't have to experience the pain and destruction that comes from sin in my life anymore because God's got himself involved and my mind and my perspective have been truly transformed. I have a, a good friend of mine. He's a, a, he's a pastor of a church in Boston seeing great stuff happen. And I saw online, I, I follow his church on Instagram and they had pictures up of baptisms that were happening, water baptisms. And so he was there baptizing people. And so the next time we talked on the phone, I just sort of brought up like, hey, I saw water baptisms last week. Look fantastic. He's like, oh, bro, you know idea. Uh, what do you mean? He's like, oh, man, I got to tell you a story. And he tells me that one of the guys that got baptized that weekend had just got out of prison and had done 10 years in jail for attempted murder. He'd shot somebody, got 10-year sentence, and was getting baptized at his church. He's like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. He said, no, 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 that's not the story. He says, the story is that, that this guy that got baptized, he leads a Bible study at our church. He leads a life group at our church, and he leads it with another guy. I said, okay, that's cool. He says, yeah, you don't get it. The guy he leads the Bible study with is the guy he shot 10 years ago. That doesn't happen by behavior modification. That doesn't happen by now you've got to go and behave yourself and get your act together. That happens when God gets involved, the Holy Spirit gets involved and transforms your heart and your mind. To be able to forgive somebody that shot you and wanted to kill you, to go from being a dangerous killer to someone that wants to lead a Bible study, that's not behavior modification. This is the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, getting involved on the inside. He's involved. He's committed to changing us, this ongoing, going from strength to strength, glory to glory, transforming us on the inside, cleaning us up, kicking out the junk that needs to get kicked out, and giving us hope in a future. Amen? I'm glad I came to church today. Come on, somebody. Imagine if we took this seriously. I say it all the time, and people that know me and people that hear me speak often, they're sick to death of me saying, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. But imagine we all took that to heart. Imagine if you committed right here, right now, today, you know what, Lord? I want to follow you even more. I want to be more committed to you. I want to value, we sang that great song today that oh, whatever it is, all I own, all I am, everything, you got it. You, imagine we actually started putting that into practice. Lord, it is all, it, follow you with everything. How I think, how I respond, what I'm going to do at work tomorrow, how I'm going to process my day, how I'm going to respond when this happens, when that happens, how I'm going to start treating this person and that person, yes, even them. If we start changing that in light of our priority system being just changed and transformed dramatically in the light of how incredible God is and how good he's been to me and how good he's been to you, can you imagine how much that would change your life? And what if your entire life group decided you were going to live like that? You changed this church. If this church decided we're going to live committed that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and we're going to follow him with everything, the communities that you live in would transform. They, would they couldn't not transform. If there's a church that is committed to, Lord, we're going to follow you with everything. We're going to respond differently. People around you are going to see, just like we just read in Corinthians, that, that we reflect the glory of God. People will be able to say, man, I can see there's something different about this Christian, guys. There's something different about these people that are so passionate about following Jesus. They don't act like everyone else. I feel different when I'm around them because they're reflecting the glory of God. Come on, this 
this is something that you can grab a hold of. And this could be something that would change your life and change the lives of people around you. And just imagine what would happen if we all committed on this together. That we're going to follow him with everything. Man, I don't even know where the revival would stop and start. But I believe that that's the kind of church that God is raising up in 21st century America. A church is that take the Bible seriously. A church is that take the gifts and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the passion that he infused in your heart and the discipleship of saying, Lord, whatever it takes, I want to think, act more like you than I want to think by my default, which is messed up, lost, believing lies, and filled with all the kind of craziness that comes from believing those lies. I've got a couple of questions for you. I'm, I'm going to wrap up. But I encourage you to write these questions down and uh, maybe you have 10, 15 minutes to pray about this sometime this week. Just write it down. This is between you and God. This is not something that anyone from the church is going to follow up with and maybe it's something you want to talk through with your spouse. But a couple of questions. The first one is, what's one thought pattern you're going to change right now? Maybe it was something from that list I rattled off when one of them sort of stuck with you and you're not like, yeah, that's the one. Maybe it's something you need to seek the Lord about. I don't know. But what's one thought pattern? Don't worry about two or three. Don't worry about eight or nine. Just grab one. And I believe if you're courageous enough and you're brave enough to say, Lord, what's one thing I can think differently about this week that is going to help somebody, that is going to be a blessing to somebody, that is going to transform my life? I believe he's going to answer you. And I believe you're going to know what that is. It may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. But I believe it's that kind of life that God's calling us to when we're humble enough to say, Lord, help me change how I'm thinking, even if it's that. What's one thought pattern you're going to change right now? Second question, what can you do to keep reminding yourself of how much God loves you? God demonstrates his great love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is it getting in a life group? We've talked about it a lot at church today. They're coming up and it's going to be a blessing. Is that what you need? Is that going to be helpful for you to keep your focus where it needs to be, to keep your attention where it needs to be? Is it committing to reading the Bible every day? And can I please tell you a secret about Bible reading? One verse a day is better than no verse a day. If you don't have half an hour, if you've never read the Bible before and you're not used to sort of going through a plan or reading the Bible by chunks and chunks, that's cool. Start where you need to start, but one verse out of the Bible a day is better than no verse out of the Bible a day. Start where you need to start, and I believe that that's going to help you focus on where you need to focus. Do you need to start taking one minute a day? If you're not used to having to praying regularly, do you need to just take one minute or 30 seconds a day and say, I'm going to spend this one minute praying and thanking God for what he did for me on that cross? Again, this is not me telling you what to do. It's not anyone from the church telling you this is what you need to do. This is us inviting you to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is one thing I can do to keep me focused on that cross? What is one thing that is going to help me remember the incredible price you paid for me when I least deserved it? I want to invite you to stand and I'll share one more Bible verse with you and then we're going to go back into a time of worship. We read already today the, the definition that I was able to find on that word repentance, that it's to change your mind or your purpose. I want to read this verse to you, and maybe some of you all know it. It's from Romans 2. It's the second half of verse 4. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads you to transforming how you think. It's the kindness of God. It's the goodness of God. It's the love of God 
that encourages you to reevaluate how you view life, to how you view the people around you, how you view the undeserving people around you, the awful people around you, the people that you can't stand around you. It's the goodness of God. And when you take that on yourself and you make that personal to you and you embrace that wholeheartedly, God transforms how you view the world around you. God changes how you view those really annoying people that you wish would just leave you alone, but suddenly your heart is broken because you know that they're so far from him. The church, I'm going to pray, and if this is personal for you, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up or anything like that, but I just want you quietly right now to agree with me in prayer that this is for me. This is it. I'm doing it. Line in the sand. This is it. So come on, everyone. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, I pray that every single believer here would be committed to want to follow you with a greater passion, a greater love, and a greater devotion. Lord, not living in fear of your anger, but living overwhelmed by your goodness, overwhelmed by your love that you've shown us so lavishly. Lord, I pray that this week we will be able to focus on your incredible, dramatic love for us. And it would transform from the inside out our entire lives. We believe this by faith. In Jesus' name.